I am in Luke chapter 19, starting with verse 41 this morning. It's where I'm going to be this morning. Next week, the sermon is the church without a prayer. Today, it's the city without a clock. Next week, the church without a prayer. Jesus is going to go to the temple as he comes down the mount. He's going to go in there, go to the temple, and cleanse the temple. We call it the cleansing of the temple. It's very important because that was the house of worship of that day. And the people of God today must pay heed and see, Lord, what are you teaching us about our own church and our own worship as you go in there and cleanse the temple in Jerusalem? So that's where I'm going to be next week. By the way, it's time change Sunday next week, all right? So, Butch and Sandra Gauthier, are y'all here? There they are, back there. Hello. Nice to have you here. And their daughter Jenny's here, at least in Oaks. I think I saw her. Good to have Emily here. Hello, Emily Nix. She's been running around the globe doing good things, uh, starting a nutrition center in the middle of Ghana that I read about. And we're so pleased God is using her to minister to people in need around the world. Jesus could have stayed in Galilee Hey, you ever been to Galilee? It's gorgeous. Beautiful, big lake, green hillside stretching up on every side, flowers in the meadows. It's gorgeous in Galilee, and he loved Galilee. The birds, the flowers, the fields often worked their way into his teaching and his parables. And when he got ready to go to the big city, where his disciples knew he was not going to be welcomed like he is in Galilee, they tried to dissuade him and say, hey, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't you know what's waiting for you there? But Luke says he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he took care of all those details. So that he could come into Jerusalem riding the donkey, the king on a donkey. And the scripture says, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city. I have a picture of Jerusalem as you approach it from the Mount of Olives. And you come across the crest of that hill and you look down upon the city of Jerusalem. The Dome of the Rock is the gold dome in the middle there. I took this picture with one of my friends in it. I, I uh, edited him out of it. All right? So, but if you can tell, if you stand in the corner of our property over here and you look toward the Superdome, in the foreground... There are a thousand graves. And when you stand on the Mount of Olives and you look at the city of Jerusalem, in the foreground, there are 10,000 graves. One of the oldest cemeteries in the world. People have been buried there for 3,000 years. When Jesus talked about the tombs of the prophets... He was talking about the tombs that were right there in the valley between the Mount of Olives and the city of Jerusalem.
as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city. He wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known the things that would make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children in your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not know the time of God's coming to you. Janet and I were walking in the mall last night and I saw a little boy who looked perturbed, disturbed, and maybe at the point of tears. He was about seven years old and he was walking behind the rest of his clan. And we were walking too and we sort of fell in step with him and I noticed that his two sisters who were about this tall each had a bag of goodies in their hands and so did the auntie or the grandma and the mom. Everybody had a bag but the little boy. So I wanted to make him feel a little better. You know, when I see somebody upset, I want to help him out. So I said to him, say, where's your bag? Janet says, you leave that boy alone. <laughs> said, I was just asking about his bag. And the mama, who never broke stride, says, he don't deserve no bag. He done lost a $100 shirt. I said, Yikes. And then the little boy was even more perturbed, and I wanted to do something for him, but we hurried on. <laughs> Got in the middle of a family squabble right there in the mall. No wonder he was behind the clan. And when Jesus breaks down on the Mount of Olives, in the middle of all the singing to praising and hallelujahs and hosannas, I want to go up to him and put my arm around him and say, Jesus, what's wrong? What's wrong? Why are you crying? Everybody's happy here. Why are you weeping? Something's wrong. Something's wrong in Jerusalem, the center of power and politics and religion in his world. Something's wrong with the people who live there. And we need to pay attention. Because the tears that Jesus sheds on the Mount of Olives this day when he looks down on that city. There for Jerusalem and every other people or person who misses the point about peace. This city has no sense of its timing. Jesus knows it's time to learn. It's time to learn. These folks in this city, the religious leaders of his day, the people who have heard him and now turned against him, they think, they really think, that they can bring peace to Jerusalem by executing Jesus. 
In fact, they say it out loud and it's recorded in the Bible. It's appropriate, one of them say, in the midst of all the turmoil and chaos uh, surrounding Jesus. They say, it's appropriate for one person to die and not all the rest of us. And they suppose that killing Jesus will bring peace to the city. It doesn't, of course. There is no peace for Jerusalem in the execution of Jesus. His execution and resurrection are destined to divide the Jewish families and synagogues and people of the day, not only in Jerusalem, but all around the world. These tears Jesus sheds, they are not tears shed because Jerusalem isn't militarily strong enough. They don't have enough weapons. They don't have a big enough army to take on the Romans. He's not weeping because they are not a military power on the earth and that would bring them peace if they just had enough guns and swords. You got to get this now, all right? They tried to make Jesus king before. They tried to put him on their shoulders and carry them, him into Jerusalem as the king. They wanted to exalt him. They wanted him to take the throne of Herod and overthrow Pilate and even Caesar if necessary. And Jesus always turned them down. Because he knew that even if some way he could have secured the support of the Pharisees and the Sadducees if every Herodian and Zealot in the whole nation were lining the road that day and were crying with the pilgrims on the way down the mount, Hail to the King! Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord! If all of them had proclaimed Him as Messiah the way they expected a Messiah, not only would Jesus have died at Calvary, but they would have slaughtered Jerusalem too. It's not the way to peace. Jesus knew it. It's why he turned down the devil when the devil said, I'll give you all these kingdoms. You can have them all. You can reign over them all. It won't bring peace. Jesus was trying to do something that was beyond the scope of sword or spear or gun or bomb or tank. If only you knew the things that bring you peace. You think you would be at peace if you could control all the people in your life. If your wife and children would do exactly as you tell them to do. If all the folks at work would just listen to you, if all the people in your circle would just behave like you want them to, then there'd be peace. You suppose that if you were in charge, if you could manipulate your world, if somebody gave you the authority, you could bring it about, you could do peace. With the power, if you had the power in hand, you could make it happen. And it's time to learn. You're wrong. It's wrong. There is a statement of peace on this day, but it is not about 
embankments and battles and armies and violence. It's about the man who rides down the mountain on a donkey. It's about Jesus, the Messiah, as he came to be. It's about the Lord of glory who is teaching us what really transforms the human heart and changes human relationships and introduces peace into our lives. It's not about the power that you have over others, but the power love has over you. It's time to learn. It's time to learn that the peace comes not in bringing your brother down, but in laying down your life. It's counterintuitive. It's backwards. It's not the way we learn it in a world that is ripped apart by violence, that has no peace in any quarter. It's not what they teach. But it's what Jesus was seeking to convey. It's why he said, they're coming. The army's coming against you. You don't get it. I come as your Messiah, and you turn against me. It's time to learn. It's time to mourn. Jesus is weeping these tears because he knows what lies in the future for these folks so intent on ruling their world, so determined that they will have their way. He is weeping not because he will endure the cross or a beating or the humiliation of this trial. He is weeping over them because of the results they will experience through their mistaken notion of the world. They have bought the lie. They live this lie every day. It is part of their family, part of their psyche, part of their culture. They teach it to their children and pass it on generation by generation. And the lie they live with every day that exalts them to the pinnacle of their world and fills them with self-exaltation, self-righteousness and pride is this. Of all the people in the world, we are God's favorite. Of all the countries in the world, we are God's favorite. Of all the families in the world, we are God's special family. Of all the individuals in the world, we are the best, we are the finest, we are the highest, we are the smartest, we are the ones. And all the other folks are pagans, heathen, and Gentiles because we stand at the pinnacle of the world. We're the best. They bought the lie. Like many people buy the lie. They suppose in their heart, of all the people in the world, we're the best. Of all the countries in the world, we're the best. We're the finest. God loves us more than anybody else. And it makes us tremble to think that God loves the Songhai in Accra 
just as much as he loves the folks in Mississippi or Alabama. That he is passionately loving them as he loves us. There is a kernel of truth to the image of their favoritism. They were indeed chosen, but not to be superior. They were chosen to serve, which is the whole picture of Jesus on the donkey coming down the mountain. It's not about being in charge. It's not about being at the top. It's not about being on the throne. It's about being the servant in your world. Jesus taught it over and over again. They never got it. Have you ever got it? The first shall be last, the last first. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and lay down his life as a ransom for many. Unless a corn of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. If a man comes after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So often we buy into what Jesus called the power order of the Gentiles, who lord it over one another and suppose this to be the way to peace. Somebody in your family needs to lay down the sword and lay down his life and serve. And in that humility, that surrender of self, that love for the other, will be a birth of peace. We rail against it and fight it. Not realizing that peacemaking is about humility and meekness and valuing the other above myself. If Jerusalem had just heard the Sermon on the Mount and mourned the sin of pride and arrogance that had them by the throat, they would have learned how to love their neighbor as themselves. How to go the second mile in service to a friend or even a foe. How to turn the other cheek. How to do good to those who hate you. How to especially model in a violent world the love of God. Not only for those who you're supposed to love, but even for those who don't love you back. Jesus is teaching this is the way to peace. I've had two guides take me to Masada. One was a Christian, the other a Zionist Jew. Masada is a pinnacle of rock next to the Dead Sea. Herod built a fortress there as a place to flee of last resort where he felt the armies could never get near him. I've stood upon this pinnacle of, of rock 600 feet straight up on the shortest side. As a Messianic Jew said to us, this is not 
a holy place. He almost didn't take us there. Because the suicide and murder of 900 people on the top of this rock was not for him something to celebrate. Though he was an Israeli soldier for 20 years, he served valiantly in their army. He had turned to Christ because loving your enemies is the only way to bring peace. The Zionist Jew took us to this place as if it were the holiest place on earth. Here, a group of 900 radical Jews fled with their families and battled the Romans for two years until the Romans were able to build an embankment all the way to the top of that fortress and the night before they knew it was to fall the men slaughtered their wives and children and then killed themselves what what is that Jerusalem is going to be encircled just like Jesus said Rome will come to this place. Titus will tear these stones down. He will knock them down. This city is going to burn. The wrecking ball will bring down this temple. There won't be a stone left on another. They're going to slaughter the men, women, and children in the city of Jerusalem. Why? Some people say it was because they would not turn from their God. And I respect, as all of you know, the right for a man to worship God as he sees fit and not by to be told by any Roman government or any government on earth how his conscience should dictate his worship. But Jesus has identified in the population of Jerusalem a germ of arrogance and pride and unyielding Stubbornness toward the truth. And this, in part, is what brings down Jerusalem and finally ends in the slaughter of Masada. If you live by the sword, you will die by the sword. There is another way. It's time to learn. It's time to to mourn. It's time to turn. To turn from the things that steal our peace to the things that make our peace in our families and our hearts. It's time to turn from the old to the new. Jesus was doing a brand new thing. He was saying, the prophets say to you, but I say to you. He was filling up the commandments of the old covenant by taking it down to the heart and calling people to follow him in a new kind of surrender to the will and purpose of God. He was teaching us the humility and love of God 
that God is a loving Father who delights in his children. I mentioned I was at Rivard Juvenile Detention Center where the teenagers taken when they're involved in crimes and they're awaiting their sentencing. We asked for prayer requests this past Wednesday night as part of Care Effect. And we went around and the boys were giving their prayer requests and one of those boys got real. He became transparent. And he said to us, pray that my father will forgive me. stuck in my heart that prayer request and when we were through I went to him and I opened up to the gospel of Luke chapter 15 and I said I want you to read a story of a son who embarrassed and humiliated and violated his father's trust and who when he was at the very bottom of his life thought maybe he could go home and his dad might just Give him a job, maybe. Maybe a meal. And when he got back to his father, he found that his father wanted to receive him in and fully restore him. Put the ring on his finger, put the robe around his shoulders, put the saddle on his feet, and kill the calf. We're going to have a feast tonight. Why? Because my son was lost. And now he's found. It is a picture of the Father God, the creator of the ends of the earth. It is who he is. And most people suppose that God is the one who when the prodigal comes back, he just slaps him around and throws him out. He is the God who brings down the hammer on the sinner. It's time to learn. It's time to turn from the idea that God is simply a judge to the truth that God is a father who has done all in his power to bring you into his family, put you in a room in his big house, and make you a seat at his banquet hall. He's done it all. That's who God is. And we fight and war and demand our own and demand our way and exercise our will over the other. Not because we have discovered who God is, but because our pride loves to be first. There is no peace in this arrogance and self-righteousness and self-exaltation. It's time to turn. Turn from the way we used to think to the way the Savior shows us on the mount. Time to turn from our futile efforts that continue to light fires and bring violence and trouble and turmoil to our families. Time to surrender our will and lay down our life. Do you have peace? 
Sister, do you have peace? Young person, do you have peace? In here. Do you have peace? How will you make peace in your world if there's no peace in here? How will you bring peace to your marriage if there's no peace in here? To your family? Do you know the things that bring you peace? If you knew it was the way of peace, would you be willing to lay down your pride, your own stubbornness, your desire to be first, and bow the knee before King Jesus and say, King who rides on a donkey, you reign over me. Let's bow together. Somebody here needs peace. You can't sleep. You can't eat. You are overwrought with anxiety and sorrow and turmoil in your heart. And there is one answer to all the foment in your life. And it is Jesus Christ himself. He himself is our peace. And you can come to him today just like you are. Not seeking to clean up your act or make sure you get everything straight, but just like you are in whatever chaos you live in, you can come to Christ today and say, Lord, here I am, knowing I am a sinner and asking for your forgiveness. Lord, I surrender. Come into my life and make me your own. I pray today, Lord, that someone here will receive the Prince of Peace into a heart of turmoil and that the Prince of Peace will bring peace. I pray for those who know you and still battle the anxieties, discouragement, and turmoil of life. God, teach us how to center in you, how to be serving, content to serve, laying down our lives. God, show us what to do in the practical moment of life to bring peace not only within, but to marriages and families and businesses, and yea, Lord, even a city that so needs peace. In Jesus' name, amen.